This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. And over the next few weeks, I'll be your host on this mini series of the podcast, looking at the Church of England. In this week's episode, we'll be thinking about what the Church of England actually is. So we're going to begin appropriately with Archbishop Cranmer, voiced here by Lee Gatiss. It's a congregation of faithful people in which the word of God is purely preached and the sacraments are duly administered. George Crowder expands on that a bit for us, followed by Lee Gators, this time in his own words. The Church of England is part of the larger body of the church in England, the covenant people of God in the church age in our country. Anglicans, however, acknowledge and administer a geographical and formal ecclesial bond beyond local churches, which I think is an extraordinary blessing. Other denominations and church polities acknowledge inter-church relationships in other ways, but with the Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer, the Ordinal, Canons, Synods, Liturgy, Bishops, Dioceses, Deaneries and Parishes, I find that Anglicanism discerns the greater body of the visible church with unmatched depth, complexity, beauty and posterity. The Church of England really is lots of individual Christians um, living their Christian lives on the grounds. They are the visible church. They are uh, attending local churches that are connected to the Church of England. And then they have a lot of support structures around them, a deanery, clergy set up. Uh, a diocese, a national church, safeguarding, uh, support and finance. And those really are support structures behind the local church, consisting of the individuals in an area who want to attend a, a Church of England church, who are um, professing faith in Jesus Christ and wanting to live for him. As Lee explained there, there's a lot of structures within the Church of England, a lot of bureaucracy, one might say, a lot of red tape, certainly a lot of ways of arranging and organising and managing things that are complicated, all sorts of different levels uh, of hierarchy, different levels of financial structure and legal structure. Within the Church of England, it's quite hard, even if you try, and let's face it, not all of us do, to understand how things happen, who makes decisions, where the money goes, who's in charge. Structurally, the Church of England is in a complete mess. Each of its 42 dioceses operates independently with their own finances, their own staff, and within certain limits can do whatever they want. For example, I'm on the Sand Commission for the House of Bishops Declaration and the Five Guiding Principles. As a standing commission, we can make recommendations to the House of Bishops, suggesting that they put in place guidelines 
for the implementation of the five guiding principles. It is entirely up to each diocesan bishop and each diocese to decide how they want to go about doing that. We can make recommendations. They are under no obligation to follow those recommendations. What is the church? Well, it is a bureaucratic quasi-democracy of confused leadership. Let me just say that again. A bureaucratic quasi-democracy of confused leadership. I mean, anyone who's ever had anything to do with the Church of England will know that it is bureaucratic. The national church governance structure is a mess of the kind that would warm the cockles of Sir Humphrey Appleby's civil servant heart. There are 97 permanent committees. I have literally no idea what they do. I I have lists. That doesn't help. I don't know whether we need them all or not. Obviously, someone somewhere thinks that we do. It is incredibly difficult, even at a parish level, to avoid the bureaucracy. If you've ever tried to install a replacement boiler, put up a notice board, make any changes to the fabric of your church building, you'll know the Church of England runs in bureaucratic ways. Bureaucracy isn't necessarily a bad thing, of course, and certainly in today's uh, society, it's really important that we have ways uh, and systems of ensuring that we act with due diligence on matters financial and legal, that we take care of safeguarding appropriately. It's not that bureaucracy is necessarily a bad thing, but it is true that the Church of England has a lot of bureaucracy and at times it feels as though at least some of that is deliberately or unintentionally restricting the gospel activities of the church. We are a bureaucracy, whether we like it or not. We are quasi-democratic. People are elected to synods, to PCCs. People are elected to Archbishop's Council uh, or to all kinds of those committees that I mentioned. But is it really a democracy? How many people who are part of the Church of England, people in those churches, in the worshipping community, week by week, month by month, how many of those people actually have any kind of input into how the Church of England is run? How many people bother to turn up and vote for PCC elections, for deanery synod elections? How many deanery synod members understand who and what they are voting for when they vote for general synod representatives? We've seen recently how the voting system within general synod can be used in different ways to achieve desired outcomes. It is democratic. Is it truly democratic? I don't know but I think it is definitely confused. There is a lot of confusion about, for example, the role of bishops. Where and how are they supposed to lead the church? Where and how are they supposed to lead 
in general synod? Or are they supposed to lead in general synod? What is the relationship between the elected bodies, the PCCs, the synods, the diocesan deanery and general synods, and the clergy, whether that's an incumbent frustrated by his PCC or the other way around, whether that's a diocesan bishop wanting to set a vision for the diocese, but finding that his synod, his diocesan synod, or his, or his bishop's council aren't really with him, or at general synod, when, as we're seeing, bishops are bringing forward proposals that are controversial and not entirely welcomed by the general synod. There is a confusion about who should take the lead on these things. I think there's a confusion about who should take the lead on all kinds of things. Should a bishop be the safeguarding lead, for example? Should a bishop have to be CEO, effectively, of a diocese? Should a bishop have to be the one who signs off on financial decisions? Should a bishop really have to be trained in management skills? Is that what we need our church leader, the pastor to our pastors, to be? I think we are confused about our leadership. James Carey, member of General Synod and on the Archbishop's Council, suggests that that might not always be such a bad thing. It is very hard to change the Church of England, but it is also quite hard to destroy the Church of England. And if one person could radically improve it, it also stands to reason that one person could probably destroy it. And they haven't, <laughs> uh, which is good news. And, they, and, you know, it's not for lack of trying, I'm sure, in some cases. But it's, it's not that they haven't, but they couldn't, even if they'd wanted to. And so, I mean, I don't know quite... The, the expression called anti-fragile, which is that things become stronger the more they are tested and that kind of thing. So it's not quite that, but there is a rigidity to it so that, unfortunately, good things spread slowly, but also bad things spread slowly as well. As we consider the complexity of the bureaucracy, the confusion of the leadership, the disparate nature of dioceses, parishes, deaneries, I think it's fair to ask the question... Is there such a thing as the Church of England at all? Here's James Carey again. Well, that is, I mean, it is technically true. There isn't such a thing as Church of England PLC or um, Church of England um, uh, dot gov. Uh, <laughs> what a frightening thought that is. I mean, we are the established church, but we're not quite dot gov yet, are we? In a way, it's just a recognition of the legal reality that we are a series of independent uh, legal uh, entities, charities, organisations that are held together by our creeds, our form formularies, um, common worship and, and all of those things. So we, we are uh, an alliance, uh, we are a confederation, uh, we are a group of... Um, yeah, and obviously there are canon implications and legal implications to all of these things too. And I think it's always very frustrating, both with the secular media and also those who are Anglicans but don't really um, know how things work, is it always appears like 
the Church of England should be some sort of PLC where you can start a church here, you can shut that one down, you can fire this person. Well, it's not going very well in that town. So it's like, like a branch of Halfords. Well, that one's not making as much money in Peterborough. Let's shut that one and open one uh, down the road. Um, so no, that's, that's not how it works. That church you're trying to shut down has been going since the 1360s um, and it has its own separate uh, constitution and things. There is something. It's just it's not a single defined legal entity. It's a lot of things. It's um, individual churches on the ground. That is that's the heart of the Church of England, the parish um, and the local church. And there are dioceses, which are collections of those churches in a particular area and obviously subdivisions there as well. There are deaneries consisting of a number of parishes which are part of one diocese. That, that is the Church of England, but all of those individual things have individual legal existence as well. Um, and then they all do things together. We have a general synod. Um, we have archbishops and other central institutions at a national level. So the Church of England really is lots of different things, um, all supposedly on the same page doing the one thing, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to uh, proclaim God's word and uh, be a Christian presence in every community. Um, but they're doing that in different ways and uh, at different levels of effectiveness, we might say. So I think both Lee and James are quite right. The Church of England does exist. It may be fuzzy around the edges as we try to define where exactly it exists and, and how to pinpoint what it is. Does the Church of England speak with one mind or act uh, with one uh, accord? Well, not exactly. It uh, It is more of that sense of an alliance. But the things which... Uh, join us together may not be legal or financial but actually are much stronger than that they are our foundational documents our understanding of the gospel our expression of that in worship we're not a church we're not a local church we are many local churches we're not the universal church uh, it may have been possible to claim 500 years ago that the Church of England was indeed the church in England, the manifestation of the universal church in one geographical place. But of course we know that's not quite the, tri the case now. There are many denominations in, Eng in England, many manifestations of the visible church in different ways in this place. So I think we have to say that the Church of England is a denomination. Well, what does that mean? Here's how I explained that at the Jake conference last month. What's a denomination? It's kind of part parachurch organisation providing administrative support, part fellowship between local churches, part oversight of local churches. It's a weird kind of thing. So that's the first thing I think we can say about the Church of England. It is bureaucratic, it is confused in its leadership, it is a denomination. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So says Isaiah in chapter 64. Do you feel that same sense of urgency and hunger for God that he might rend the heavens and come down? Oh, how we need it. 
We cannot engineer revival. That is God's sovereign work. Our part to play is in prayer. Are you not convicted by those rousing words from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch with me for just one hour? At the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference in 2024, we will be exploring the theme of revival, looking at revival in the Bible and the history of revivals across the world. The conference will be held from the 5th to the 7th of February at Kings Park in Northampton. You'll find all the details on the Church Society website, including the booking form, and you can pay for the conference online. We hope you'll be able to join us for a wonderful time of conferring, of fellowship and of Bible teaching. But let's move on. It is also fundamentally a whole collection of local churches, parish churches. Being a parish church carries an existential mandate to be for the local community. To be covenant shaped in context. As faith in Christ is embodied in the lives of Christians who are embedded in the life of the community. The great thing is that the Church of England has almost certainly a church building in the heart of pretty much every community, settlement, village, hamlet, town, city. You know, it's got an enormous building at the heart of most uh, of every city, um, even though that city wouldn't be a city if it weren't for the cathedral and the bishop. So I live not that far away from the city of Wells, uh, which is half the size of my hometown of Yeovil. And yet, you know, somebody sort of turned up and dumped this enormous cathedral there and drove off. Um, and uh, uh, so... But at the centre of all of these places is not just a building at the centre that is to the glory of God. It looks like it's to the glory of God. It's beautiful. But not only that, it is where our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents got married, uh, were buried, um, did life together um, and did community together as well. So they and although we live in a much more transient community where people move around a great deal, I think particularly as people get older, they really do appreciate where they came from. And so this stuff really starts uh, to matter. And I think that is what the Church of England offers, is that connection uh, with those who've gone before us. And of course, you know, that's fine. That would be a history society or a historic building society, and that's fine. But um, it's, it's, a, it's quite an asset when also you're trying to show them who their real father is, that their heavenly father uh, is in heaven and has sent his son uh, to be uh, a, a sacrifice for them on the cross. And that is um, a really special thing. So we're, we're off to an absolute flying start. What's great about the Church of England is, as its own strapline says, it's supposed to be a Christian presence in every community. The whole country is split up into parishes. So every square inch of the country is meant to have a Christian presence, a Christian witness to the gospel um, in it. And that's that's a really great thing, um, an aspiration to have the gospel go out to every part of our country, which so desperately needs it. 
There are 12,500 parishes in the Church of England, a combined average weekly attendance of around 600,000 people. These are figures from a couple of years ago, so, you know, it's probably half that by now. An estimated worshipping community of just over a million. The mean mean average congregation size is 66 people. The median is only 37 I'm not going to make you do all the maths, but what that basically means is the sizes are skewed pretty heavily. There are a smaller number of very large churches and a larger number of very small churches. Half the parish churches in England have a congregation of 36 or fewer. Of course, we need to be careful with how we interpret our statistics. It's just a point worth making that some of our rural churches get 10% of the local population. That might not seem many, but if 10% of Yeovil attended an Anglican church, we'd be looking at 4,500 people attending St John's, St Andrew's, St James, St Peter's, St Michael's and Holy Trinity, which might have 750 members each. We can't fit all those people. We'd have to have extra services and we probably need to build more buildings. The parish system is a wonderful thing. It may not be perfect. It certainly could do with some redrawing of lines for the 21st century. Uh, Some of the buildings might not be in the places where we would most want them now. And not every building is entirely fit for purpose for a 21st century congregation. But nonetheless, every place in England is part of a parish. Every place in England, wherever you are, there is somebody you can turn to who is responsible for the spiritual health uh, of your part of England. It is a really special thing that we have in the Church of England, the parish system, and we shouldn't take that for granted. There is one other aspect of the Church of England that I think we don't often consider, but perhaps we need to start thinking of uh, a bit more seriously, And that is our status as an established church. We have an established church, an established church that is being used and abused by the state. I don't think we often stop to consider that. This last year, perhaps more than in most of our lifetimes, it's been an obvious thing for us because we've had a coronation. Listen to the oath, part of the oath, that Charles III made just a few months ago. He was asked, will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine, worship, discipline and government thereof as by law established in England? We get to make some English law. And Parliament gets to make church law. A number of bishops sit in the House of Lords by right. The coronation of the monarch must legally include oaths committing that monarch to upholding the Church of England. We are absolutely (coughs) entangled in the state. Establishment is supposed to act as a guard against changes in the doctrine, worship, discipline and government of the church. It is not supposed to promote such changes. In an ideal system... The state would uphold the teaching of the church and protect her so that she can worship freely. 
the church's role would be to hold the state accountable before God. The church would bring God's wisdom to bear on issues of political and national importance in order to help the politicians act rightly before God. We have the opposite. We've ended up in a system where the state wants to hold the church accountable to secular, ungodly worldviews that are popular today. Well, there we have it. The Church of England is a a bureaucratic, quasi-democratic alliance of separate institutions, dioceses and deaneries and parishes, complicated structurally. The Church of England as a parish church system, a group of more than 12,000 local churches with responsibility for every square inch of this country. Churches that are committed to their local communities, that have a mandate, not merely for the people who come through their doors, but for everyone who lives in that place. The Church of England, as an established church, with all of the potential privileges, but also potential pressures that brings with it. We're going to end uh, this week's podcast just by asking uh, all of our contributors, including me, what it is that we love about the Church of England. Our parish churches have been there, a place where everyone has been welcome in that community, where they can come and experience the compassion and mercy of Christ, but also where the immovable truth, inextricably linked with that boundless love, has being the foundational doctrine. The reason I went into it, I think initially, is because I'm a fan of history, I've always loved the foundational stories of the Church of England. I found the stories of, well, going back to Wycliffe, actually, Wycliffe and the Lollards, um, and then the Reformation, Cranmer, uh, you know, Hooper, Latimer, Ridley, all those guys. And I think when I was thinking am I going to make a difference to the Church of England? Am I going to stand up and defend the Church of England? I did think back to those martyrs who were burned alive um, for the Church of England and for, for doctrine. And I thought, well, if they can do that, I can probably go to a few meetings. That doesn't seem like a wildly unreasonable claim uh, on, my, on my time. So, and as I did that, maybe underestimating the task, I became more and more involved and I started to care more and more. Um, and so the, the more I've gotten involved, the more I care. And so I, I really do deeply want the Church of England to thrive and succeed and to promote the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in every parish all over England. So that really does excite me um, and does help me get out of bed in the morning. I love that it is real. It's not like a airbrush church it has all the faults of every church you'll find in the new testament it's also great that the church of england historically um and legally and doctrinally is based on the bible and uh, the biblical truths that we've seen throughout church history we're connected to the church throughout the ages our doctrine of the trinity what we teach on that is in accordance with the whole of church history the creeds and the, the confession of the 39 articles, which is our doctrinal statement. These are all good, solid, biblical, evangelical 
truths. And that's a great thing. That That is the Church of England's basis. Even today in law, that is what we are meant to be teaching, preaching and living out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to hear more about some of the things that we've been discussing, you might want to listen to the audio recordings from this year's Junior Anglican Evangelical Conference, The Church for England. In particular, you'll find James's talk, The Church England Needs, and my talk, The Church England Has, will be uh, particularly relevant. And some of the clips that you've heard in this podcast episode have been taken from those talks. We'll be back next week with the second in this little series, looking at what are some of the issues uh, with the Church of England today? Where are the problems? Uh, Not simply... Uh, the most pressing issue at hand, the debate around same-sex marriage. But more fundamentally, how have we got to the point where that is even an issue under debate? So do tune in again next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.